Joy is something that you can be deeply rooted in, that even in pain and sorrow, that you can experience joy. Joy and pain can happen in the exact same space. That's how it works, is that joy isn't an emotion. Joy is a state. Hello, hello, and welcome back to Seek the Joy podcast. Happy Seek the Joy Tuesday. On the podcast this week is Amber Runyon, the founder and CEO of 11th Candle Co. and Legacy. And collectively, these two organizations have come together as a social enterprise working globally to redeem, restore, empower, and equip those vulnerable to human trafficking, abuse, exploitation, and addiction. And what is so cool and empowering and inspiring and impactful about what Amber has created is that when you purchase a candle, when you purchase a product from 11th Candle Co., a once-trafficked woman in Columbus, Ohio, is employed while a village in Ethiopia is supported and orphaned children there are welcomed into homes because of those who purchase their products. I was really so excited to have this conversation with Amber, and on today's episode, we chat all about the incredible life-changing experience that led her to starting Legacy and 11th Candle Co. We talk about the impact she and her team are having and how she's really been able to bring light into darkness to bring about sustainable change. We also chat about why it's so important to allow ourselves to dream and to dream big, shifting our self-talk and changing the narrative within ourselves. We also talk about letting go of fear and doubt, why it's so important to celebrate failure, Amber's affirmation and gratitude practice, joy as a state of being, and so much more. Before we dive into this week's new episode, I have to share the iTunes review of the week and it comes from Perrin Skinner and it says, heart opening and fresh air for the soul. Sydney has created exactly what I've been looking for in a podcast. I've thoroughly enjoyed every episode. Perrin, thank you so much for taking some time to rate and review Seek the Joy podcast on Apple iTunes. You've already emailed me, so I've had a chance to thank you, but I can't tell you just how much it means to me. If you've been enjoying this podcast, if you want to show some support for this podcast, I would be so grateful. Just make sure to send a screenshot of your review to sydney at seekthejoypodcast.com. And as a way to say thank you, I will send you my guide for infusing more joy into your life, as well as some Seek the Joy podcast stickers. All right, guys, that's it. As always, to learn more about this week's episode, head on over to the show notes section of our website, seekthejoypodcast.com slash show dash notes, and everything is right there, including the 25% off coupon code that Amber is offering Seek the Joy podcast listeners. All you have to do is enter the code SEEK, S-E-E-K, at checkout to get that 25% off, and I just can't wait for you guys to check these out. Amber's story and what she witnessed in Ethiopia and the ways in which she's been able to have an impact and create change will stop you dead in your tracks and remind you to believe in the power of kindness, humanity, and that there's really never one step too small to make an impact. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Amber. 
thanks for having me. I'm Amber. I'm the founder um, and chief candle maker at 11th Candle Company. Um, and we employ women that have been victims of human trafficking, exploitation, addiction, or abuse through um, making candles. So, okay, so where did everything begin? Yeah, so it's not the, not the conventional way, that's for sure. I uh, was a nurse and I traveled overseas and did a bunch of international medical work. And uh, one of those trips landed me in Ethiopia where I fell in love with a little girl um, named Mulu. And I just kept going over to see her. Um, you know, I would work to, to travel, work to travel, work to travel. And um, I saw all these needs in her community. And one day I watched two little girls being trafficked. They were being, they were blindfolded and being led through the market. Um, and I asked my translator, what's happening? And he said, oh, they're being sold. And I said, what do you mean they're being sold? And he said, they're being sold for, for sex. They're blindfolded so they can't figure out where they are. And I'm like, mm. I, I'm sorry, what? And so I came back home and, you know, that obviously really kind of shook me. And I came back home and started doing some research here and recognized that um, that if Mulu were to come to Columbus with me, that she had the same likelihood of being trafficked in Columbus as she did in Ethiopia. And I decided I didn't want to live in a world where little girls and little boys could be bought and sold. And so then kind of looking at if we're to solve this problem, how do we go about doing this? How do we go from rape to redeemed um, and where do we fall short? And so I kept looking at things from a, from a local level to a state level to a national level. Where do we keep falling short? Where do we keep falling short? And what I found was that we really, they really lack up that purpose piece. And so people really need three things to thrive, safe place, safe people, and purpose. And we, um, as a society, so often forget that, that purpose piece. And so that's when I decided that I would start a company that employed women. Yeah. I mean, I don't That's even know. Short version. Yeah, I don't even know where to begin. I mean, to have that experience, to be there and witness two little girls being trafficked, I I don't know how you walk away without having that moment really stay with you and without having it have a really strong impact in changing, you know, the entire course of your life. Yeah, I mean, it, it was just this realization that this actually really does happen in our world. If we just begin to it, you would see it happening. Right. Um, you're in, you're in California and Los Angeles. Um, I don't know where they rank, but I'm confident that they're probably in the top ten. Wow. Uh, just by just by capita, right? Like just by or there. Um, and so that's the thing that's fascinating about human trafficking is that it's done in the darkness and it's it's so hidden and we don't really know what we're looking for. And so therefore we don't think that it actually happens in our community. Yeah. So once you start opening your eyes to what's happening, once you become aware and start realizing that this is happening, you know, both internationally and in my backyard, I can imagine it probably was like a kick in the pants, right? To really be part of the Absolutely. solution. Yeah, and I think that that's I think that that's what we as a society miss is that we don't get involved in things until they until they affect us. And so I what I'm hoping that we can begin to do as a society and as a whole is to begin to fight issues before they affect us. Right? Yeah. I want to fight human trafficking before I have kids. I have to worry about them. Right. Issues. Right. But we we don't get involved into something until it smacks us in the face. But what if we begin to be proactive so that we didn't have to worry about if our nieces, or our nephews, or our kids, or our grandkids are going to be trafficked, that, that that's something that, that we're aware of and that we fight before it becomes a problem for yeah, us. Yeah, that's a really important point that you just raised. And I really admire what you've done and how you've really taken your passion and determination and put it you know, into practice. And so from your experiences from Ethiopia, I know that Legacy was born, and that's the nonprofit arm of what you do. And so when you started, did you start with the intention of it being both local and international? We did. We did. So we started a nonprofit and a for-profit, a local and a um, foreign 
it's all at the same time. So the whole idea, it was all created to work with each other. So I believe that the way that we really fix social issues is nonprofit, for-profit, and government. That's the way that we, you know, between those three things, the government has to pass the laws to make the things, um, you know, work for the people that we're trying to work for. The for-profit, it, it be able to help generate money to create the change and provides the place for these people to work. And then the nonprofit provides all the additional resources that these people need. So they don't just need a job, they need trauma-informed care, they need counseling, they need coaching and those sort of things. Between those three things working together, that's how we can create a true sustainable change. Yeah, I mean, you're so spot on. You really have to look at all angles in order to bring about that sustainable change and growth. And so what has been the most impactful part about being part of all of this and using the resources that you're building to really go back into these communities and really make a change? Yeah, I think one of the cooler things that we've been able to do is is to watch that change happen um, both here and over there. And so to be able to, uh, to show the women in Columbus that we're working for more than just us, um, we say it every morning when we get together and have our, have, our, have our team meetings, that we're not working for the people that are in our program. We're working for the woman who's still out on the street. We're working for the kid that is still hungry. And so kind of give that perspective of the people that are in our program, either the, the ones that are in our program over in Ethiopia or the people that are in the program here in the States, that they're the lucky ones, right? Mm -hmm. And so that we have to remember that we're working for the ones that haven't made it into our program. Yeah. What you just said that you're working for the ones that haven't made it in your program yet is a perspective that I haven't heard, you know, too many people speak on. And so how do you do that through 11th Candle Co.? I know that you employ women in the Columbus area. Yeah. So the for-profit or the nonprofit provides the coaching, the counseling, and the employment opportunity to the women. Um, and then the for-profit 11th Candle Company provides the actual place of employment um, and provides the time and the space for that coaching and that counseling. Um, and so it's, it's pretty simple. If you buy a candle, you employ a woman. Um, and the, if we wow. don't sell candles, people aren't employed. Mm -hmm. The more people that we can employ, the, the more lives that we're changing. And so it's really that simple. You buy a candle, you employ a woman. Wow. So what has it been like for you to work side by side with these women? And you know, in that moment that you're having this kind of impact on their lives. Yeah. I mean, I think that for me, it gives me like a real perspective into my own life, right? So sometimes running this nonprofit and for-profit in this, in this, all of these different things pulling at you you kind of be, you can become overwhelmed and overworked. And so it's really gives me this perspective of like these people are getting up every day and they're the ones that are really actually doing the hard work. They're choosing not to be addicted to drugs and to come to work. They're choosing not to be addicted to alcohol and come to work. And they're choosing not to live the life they lived. Mm -hmm. And so for me, like when things become hard, I recognize that like we can choose our heart, right? So is it hard to be an addict? Yes. Is it hard to get up and come to work every day? Yes. But you have to choose your heart. And so I think that that just helps me put into perspective that like, yes, life is hard, but like we can do hard things. Yeah, that is really true. Where did you get that perspective from? Is it from moments in your own life or through doing the work that you do? I, mean, I think it was kind of a combination. So I grew up as a foster kid. And so I kind of have this unique perspective on life anyways. My, my, my home life prior to foster care wasn't great. Foster care wasn't great. Um, I put myself through nursing school and 
kind of always had uh, a bit of a struggle. And now that I'm in a place in my life where I've built something and I'm financially secure and I have all of my, you know, all of my ducks in a row and I've done really hard counseling and, and, and worked on myself. Um, it kind of puts yeah. it into the perspective that anybody can do this sort of work. They just need the resources. I was fortunate enough to be able to to afford really, really good counseling. And so when I saw how that drastically changed my life, it became a, it became a non-negotiable that we were going to provide this for our women because I was privileged enough to be able to afford it. Um, and so how do we go about providing this for people so that everybody has this opportunity not to walk around with all this trauma? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. You know, so many of us are really privileged in the sense that we can get help and we do have access to resources and we do have the ability to work on ourselves, but there are so many of us who don't have those resources. And so if we can make them more accessible and widespread, and if we can remove the stigma associated with it too, I'm really confident that there could be greater change, but it's really about making those resources available to everyone. Right. It is about, it is about teaching people those resources uh, and, and getting people to understand that, that these are resources that they need to use. Yeah. Right? So everybody, everybody's like, Oh, I don't need counseling. Every single person needs counseling. Every single person can benefit and become a better person from counseling. Now, does every single person need counseling to the level that the women that we employ? No, but everybody can become better. Yeah. And it really does start, you know, with that choice to grow. And once we make that choice, the possibilities are really endless. And I think you're right. You know, everyone could benefit from some form of counseling or introspective work that helps to propel, you know, that growth too. So where did your passion for all of this come from, for helping women and children and really being of service in this way? I think it's, I think it really is just kind of like born into me and that injustices just really irritate the crap out of me. Yeah. Um, like something's not fair or something's not balanced or something's unjust it absolutely drives me bananas um and so i think that that's just kind of naturally how i'm wired but i think more than that is that is that there's this notion right like everybody's it's a year of woman it's the year of this women in general have been oppressed um over the course of of, our, of the entire history mm-hmm. and so i think that it's this idea of of this oppressed people that that Right. I say this quote often, and it's that I believe that if we can teach little girls a dream, that they'll be the force that changes this world. But I believe more than that, that if we can teach broken women to dream like little girls again, it'll be a force that this world has yet to see. Mm-hmm. We've never taught them to dream. We've taught them not to be addicted. We've taught them not to prostitute. We've taught them not to do this, but we've never looked at them and said dream. But more than that, the people in the audience that I speak to when I say that, they think I'm referring to the woman in our shop. But the truth is I'm referring to every woman. Mm-hmm. Every woman somewhere along the way has become broken and, and has lost that ability or that that want to be to be free and here's the thing about free people free people are dangerous right because they laugh more and 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 they believe more and they dream more and so when people are free things change Mm. right Mm -hmm. that's so interesting why do you think women have really forgotten how to dream and and how to dream big because our society tells us that we can't right our society Mm -hmm. tells us that we're pretty first right yeah and that we're strong second and that we should be quiet and that we should smile think about how many times as a woman you've been told to smile mm-hmm. right what's wrong what's wrong smile no like you don't get to dictate what i do with my body and so i think overall that that's just how our society has been um and now i'm not like a raging feminist by any means but i believe that women 
have been oppressed. And the way to fix that is not to oppress men. That's not how you fix oppression. Oppression doesn't oppression oppression of another of another of another kind is not the fix to oppression of its its equality. And so I think the way that we do that is that we begin with our little girls and we teach them how to dream. But more than that, we we begin to look at broken women and show them that they can dream again. So we look at women who have have their identity wrapped up in all of these other things and, and get them back to who they are. So you're not a mom, you're not a wife, you're like, who are you? Um, and really begin to dig into that piece of them. And I think that men feel like they're in this really weird space of they can't say anything or they can't do anything or it's the year of woman or it's the year of that, that you will never see a more empowered woman than to have a man silent be silent behind her encouraging and pushing her mm. that is where you will find some of your strongest women is a man who stands behind her saying I believe in you not a man that feels like he needs to walk in front of her or beside her but somebody that's behind her giving her that that strong place to land you'll 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 find a woman who operates from a completely different place so we need our men to stand up we need our men to say I support my daughter full-heartedly no matter what she wants to go into and we need our men to say, I support the women in our lives, whether it's a sister or, or a co-worker. We need men to allow women to, to live in that space, but that doesn't oppress the man. There, there's nothing stronger than a man who will silently stand behind and encourage. Yeah, that's so true. It's really about empowering each other and allowing those voices to rise to the surface, you know, without silencing another voice. And just like you said, you know, there's really strength within that. And I just really hope that we continue to move, you know, in that direction. Yeah. And I think that I think that the way that we do that is that we begin to have conversations like this, both men and women. Yeah. Right? And then yeah. we bring different people in, different different perspectives in so that we can together as a as a community, as a world, as a begin to become better instead of just this one group being better and this group still being oppressed. That's how we fi- I think that that's how we fix oppression. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think it goes back to what you were saying earlier, you know, just about how someone identifies themselves or chooses to see themselves in the world. And so within that, how have you been able to let go maybe of defining yourself in a certain way? So, you know, I'm sure it could be easy to just define yourself as a nurse or a business owner or a humanitarian. And so how have you been able to let go of doing that and maybe instead integrate or incorporate all of those different identities without, you know, sort of putting yourself in a box? Yeah, I mean, I think it really just comes down to like, I just don't think I'm a big deal, right? And so I think <laughs> that people either want to be a big deal or they think of themselves as a big deal. And so then they get wrapped up in that. And the moment that you start allowing your ego to get into that is when you just get completely jacked up. That's how you jack up your relationships. That's how you jack up your work. And so for me, I think that I just, I don't allow that that sort of stuff to go to my head and that like I'm rooted in that like I am just Amber, right? And yeah. so now, do I always do well at that? No. And when I'm not doing well at that, it's, it's like a, it's like a neon sign, like, Hey, you got to check yourself. <laughs> um, and so I think that that's, that that's kind of how I do it is that I just don't, right. I've been written up in magazines and newspapers and on the news and met with senators and done all these really cool, really, really cool things and get to travel to Africa and get to the opportunity and the privilege to run this company. But if I allow that to start going to my head, I guarantee you it, I would lose everything. And so yeah. I think it's this, it's this balance between fear 
that I know how this will turn out for me and, and this realization that I'm just not a big deal. Yeah. But I don't want to be a big deal. Yeah. So is it helpful for you to return to your why in moments like that when you really need to check yourself in that way? Yeah, for certain, because it's not about me. Um, and, and people will say that all the time. Well, like your company is, is you. No, it's not really. Like, And so I return to my why, which is Mulu, and, and that there are hundreds of thousands of Mulus who just need somebody to fight for them. And so really at the end of the day, it's not about me the same way that we check everybody in our in our at our home office staff and in our program like you're not making this candle for you yeah you're not selling this candle for you you're not selling actually for anybody in our program these people are already benefiting from it we're selling it for the people who still need help and so for me i think it's easy to check it's easy to check myself in that this isn't about me yeah i found that you know that too that the moment you return to your why everything changes because otherwise i think it's often really easy to lose sight of your core mission and values and why you started in the first place you know doing the work that you're doing absolutely yeah and you, i mean you have to watch that right because that, that's an easy slippery slope um to try to to try to balance that out um, I'm very fortunate in that I have to look these women in the eyes every day. Um, and so it's, it's not as hard to, to slip down that slope cause I'm staring at them every day. So, yeah. um, yeah, it's, it's easy to, it's easy to pick program over profit when you're, when you're literally standing beside them every day. Yeah, absolutely. And what a gift, right. To be able to see that impact day in and day out. And we touched on this a little bit earlier, just about fear and doubt, but how have you been able to step outside of that fear and that doubt for yourself that I think can really creep up on us when we are getting ready to embark on anything that is greater than us and that we know is going to have, you know, a big impact or, you know, change in our communities. Yeah. I mean, I guess I, I think that there's this, it's just this weird natural kind of thing where I think a lot of people are like, what if I can't do this? And I, I guess for me, like my go-to is like, what if I can do this? Mm. And so I don't, I, and I don't know how, I don't know what it is or how I do it or like what the magic <laughs> equation is to that. But for me, it, it's kind of like, like if I do this and I fail, like big deal. Right. Like it's, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how I do it. I don't, I don't know that other than it's just some, you know, God gifted, you know, mercy upon me so that I will do the stuff that I'm supposed to do. But I think that, I think that for me, it's like, well, what if I can make this happen? Not what if it doesn't happen? Um, and so I, I guess I kind of lean a little bit more towards like, well, I mean, let's try it. And if it doesn't work, then we just keep trying. Yeah. Right. I think that's why so many businesses fail is because they, they try something and it fails and they try something and it fails and they try something and it fails. But, but for me, it's it's like that failure is just the next thing that shows me that that's not the way I'm supposed to do it. So then you try again. And so I think that people just get really wrapped up in in um, that. And it's not that I'm smarter than everybody else. I just stay with my problems longer. I'm not yeah. I'm not wiser than any other business person. I just stick with it. Um, and I think that that's just kind of naturally how I was how I was made. And that like I just refuse to give up. Yeah, too many of us give up way too soon and that persistence and that resilience really goes a long way and I think a lot of it is realizing for ourselves in those moments that what you want to do is important and needed and necessary but the way to get there may not be that road that you initially were walking down so it's about having the ability to adjust and constantly readjust and fine-tune and I mean I can imagine that you're still really fine-tuning your approach and your 
your process, right? As time goes on. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're two and a half, almost three. Um, and, and we've experienced exponential growth as a company from the very beginning. Um, and it's the same thing. So we're, we're shifting to more of a retail sort of company um, versus an online. Uh, online, I mean, we'll still do online, but we're opening up retail shops. And so how do you do that? And what does your retail experience look like? And what sense do you have? And, you know, what products do you roll out next? And it's ever evolving. And so I think the moment that you stop evolving is when things don't work. Like, look at Toys R Us, right? Yeah, biggest yeah. toy, biggest toy, uh, you know, distributor. And then when everything went online, they just didn't, they did not hit that niche. And now they're gone. And so I think that in a business, you have to be ever evolving. Yeah, I agree. I think that's so true, you know, both in business and in life. For and certain. so how have you been able to continue to evolve as Amber? Yeah. So one thing that I advocate strongly for any any leader, a leader, this is a non-negotiable, um, but really anybody in life is counseling. Um, and I, I did a good, you know, nine months worth of really, really, really intense counseling called EMDR. Um, and it's eye movement, uh, reprocessing, desensitization. And so what that does is it kind of works with how your brain works and stores the traumas in your life and the way that you view your life is through that trauma. And so... I did a ton of work um, over a course of nine months and I got into yoga where I integrated the healing into my body and I, and I still do that stuff and I, and I still work on, on that. And so I think if you see a good, strong company, the chances are you have a good, strong, healthy leader. Um, if you see a company that's really struggling, that shows you that your leader is really struggling. And so the way that you balance those out, because if I'm not doing well, my company's not doing well. And if my company's not doing well, then I'm not doing well. And so you have to treat them as two different for individuals, right? So mm -hmm. I have to treat my company as a person. Mm -hmm. And I and what does that person need? Does it need does it need more money? Does it need health? Does it need to be fed better? Like what does it mm -hmm. need? And then also treating yourself that way. Because the truth is 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 that you know we can claim to work 90, 100 hour weeks, but but that that's not healthy. And what is healthy is is taking breaks and and going on trips and 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 figuring out what works best for you. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. We have to take the time to take stock of what we need and what our businesses need. And I think the time is really here to let go of the this idea that to be successful means you push, push, push. And I love what you shared about that nine-month period in your life of being in counseling and taking time to be introspective and heal. And, and so today, how do you maintain balance for yourself and take time to make sure you go on trips and not, you know, push yourself to work 90 hours a week and be, you know, totally exhausted. Yeah. I mean, I, I still do the, all of those things. I still do yoga and counseling and, but I think it's surrounding yourself with people who will hold you accountable. I think it's, it's knowing that as a leader that your people are watching you. So my yeah. team is watching me right from our home office staff to the women in our program to the people who are, they're watching and seeing how am I, am I really doing what I'm saying I'm doing? But I think more than that, it's a it's an actual practice. I mean, there are some days that I don't not I don't want to go to yoga, but I know that if I don't go to yoga, that is a slippery slope, and three months will go by, and I will not have not gone to yoga. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I know that I don't always want to dig into the deepest parts of myself, but I know that if I if I stop doing that, then three months will go by, and I'll be in this really bad place. And so. 
it's this it's just in, in creating morning routines and nighttime routines and i still am trying to figure out what is my best morning routine what is my best nighttime routine um and then changing how you talk to yourself right changing how you view your success your successes and failures you know i always you know always say like may my successes never outweigh my failures like i would prefer to fail more than i succeed um because if i begin to succeed more than i fail <laughs> i i it will not be good um and so i think that that it's kind of keeping those things in perspective, but really just looking at that you are your number one priority. We have somehow become this generation where we're taking care of yourself is, is considered selfish, mm. um, but self-care, which is not a bubble bath and not a manicure, self-care is digging in and doing your budget. Self-care is digging in and getting your house under control. Self-care is, is, is weeding out bad relationships and getting all that toxicity out of your life and, and, and letting go of things that self-care now sometimes is it a bubble bath and manicure absolutely but it is that is not real self-care and self-care is getting into counseling and doing yoga or a regular exercise or meeting with friends and so i think that you actually have to continue to it's a, it's a lifelong thing um now does that mean that you have to dig into your utter most deep parts forever no i did it for nine really hard months twice a week i went to counseling twice a week for a good portion of my counseling and and i'm still doing all those same things and and we'll get back into counseling again and kind of go back through that phase again mm-hmm. it won't be near as hard as it was my first time around but you have to maintain that yeah i love what you just shared about what self-care is and i couldn't agree more because it's so much deeper than what social media has portrayed it to be. And sometimes, just like you said, the best form of self-care is getting yourself organized and removing yourself from toxic relationships and checking in with yourself daily. You know, it goes so much deeper. I, I mean, I'm, I'm living proof of it. So I feel like that. I feel like if you're going to, if you're going to talk the talk, you should probably walk the walk, you know? Totally. And so you also mentioned how it's been important for you to shift how you speak to yourself. And what has that experience and journey been like for you shifting your self-talk and shifting that level of compassion and kindness towards yourself and showing yourself more self-love in that way? Yeah. So I think that it's really interesting in that I think, I think like I would, I would say, say or think something about myself and then somebody would say like the polar opposite of it. And then and I just started beginning to like, listen to like what I was saying to myself. And then I started writing it down. Like I literally, and I mean, we were talking like three notepads full of like, like three note pages full of like things that I say to myself. Like I just took like an inventory of what do I say to myself on a daily basis for like a week. Right. Mm-hmm. And then I read them and I'm like, well, no wonder I feel like crap because listen to how I'm talking to myself. Totally. And then, and then I looked at that and I was like, it, would I speak to my friend like that? I would not have, a, I would not have any friends. right? Yeah. I just wouldn't have any friends. And so why is it that I value somebody so much more than I value myself? Now, have I nailed this? (laughs) Absolutely not. Absolutely (laughs) not. But I think it's just becoming conscious of how you speak to yourself um, in in doing that. So just write down, even for a day, if you did it for a day and you, and you captured and wrote down every negative thought that you have about yourself, you would, it it will absolutely rock your core. Um, And so I think it's just becoming aware of that and, and catching yourself quicker, right? Because we're still going to do it, but it's catching yourself quicker and and then replacing that with the truth, right? Having a daily affirmation and, and just really beginning to do that. And then 
catching your friends and holding their holding them accountable. So when a friend says something negative about themselves, remind them that that's not who they are. Yeah. Oh, I love this. I love this. Okay. So what is your daily affirmation right now? Um, hold on. I can tell you, I can look at my little journal and tell you what I made <laughs> today. Oh, it's simple. I'm enough. Mm-hmm. So, um, three things that I'm grateful for. And then, uh, three things that would make today great. And then a daily affirmation. And then the evening, it was three things that made today awesome. Um, three things that could have made today better. And then a nighttime affirmation. And so do I do that every day? No, I'm really trying to get better at that. Hmm. Um, but it's kind of just reminding yourself that those things are true and that it's okay to believe that about yourself. It's yeah. okay to believe that I'm a good person. Right. But when but when you say that about yourself, it feels wrong. Like it feels like you shouldn't be able to feel that way about yourself, which is so crazy. It is so crazy that we think that way because evidently we have friends and spouses and all those different things. They think we're okay. Right. I mean, they think we're awesome, but we we don't think that way about ourselves. Right. Right. And so I think that that's I think that that's just a big thing that we have to begin to become okay with and and giving ourselves grace and space and and not shaming ourselves. Mm. Like I'm going to make some bad decisions. There's no doubt because I make a gajillion decisions. So eventually one of them is going to be bad, right? Either personally or professionally um, and not beating yourself up over it. Well, I started this new routine and I've not been able to keep it. Instead of shaming myself and making myself feel like crap about not doing it, starting all over again, reminding myself that I am worthy of this routine and getting into that routine. I love this because I've fallen into this trap too, right? And I know so many people have also where it's like, because I wasn't able to do it, I tell myself I'm a failure or I suck at this or I'll never be able to do it. Or it's like, well, there you go again. You know, you have no follow through. And so it's about shifting that narrative and showing yourself grace and compassion and kindness in that moment and saying, hey, it's okay. We'll start again tomorrow. I mean, I think shifting this perspective really applies to everything. And it's not just about focusing on that in those moments of a morning practice or an evening practice. I mean, it's really widespread and it applies to everything that you do in your life. That's it. It's a practice. It's a daily practice. Yeah. And if you think that you're not going to be that you like something that I just probably in the last year have learned is that like, I think I'm going to do it for five days and I'm good. No, like it's literally a daily thing. It is a moment by moment thing. And the thing about failures and something that we do as a company. And I remember when this happened, like, like yesterday, I mean, it was one of those like defining moments where you're like, Oh, okay. Um, I went into, we were brand new. I mean, maybe six months old as a company, maybe, maybe nine months old. And I went into the shop early one morning and, there's a whole tray of candles and I begin to pull them out and smell them because we sell scented candles um, and they were not <laughs> scented. Mm. And I remember thinking, oh, okay, how do you handle that? How do I handle this? Like, how, how do I do this from a leadership perspective? How do I handle this? Because this is not correct, but how do I handle this? Right. Um, and this is before we started partnering with like trauma-informed care where I could have called them and said, hey, how do we do this? Right. Um, And so I remember thinking, okay, this is like where the rubber meets the road. Like, what are you going to do? And I remember thinking, we're going to celebrate this. We are going to celebrate this failure. And so I went down to the local baker and I, and I got a dozen donuts and I brought them and I set them on the table and everybody got there. And, and, you know, I set everybody down. I said, okay, here's the deal. We really messed up. Here's a whole tray of candles. You know, it's it's hundreds of dollars for the product that we're going to have to throw away. We really failed. But we're going to celebrate this failure because the truth is that yesterday you chose sobriety over addiction. And that is a success. The truth is that you got up out of bed and you came to work and that is a success. And so, yes, 
we failed at this and this was not good, but we are going to celebrate this failure because the truth is trying is success enough. And I remember like two weeks later, we were standing in the shop and we have these little heat guns that, that check the temperature of the wax, you know, for when we fragrance it and, and whatnot. And one of the women dropped the, the, the heat gun down inside of the hot pot of wax and she pulls it out. I remember like wax like, went up into the air. She pulls it up out of the pot of wax and she goes, we get donuts. And so instead <laughs> of, right. And that's great, amazing. I like, I'm like, we're going to have diabetes. Yeah. Um, and so <laughs> instead of, Instead of her feeling the shame and wrapping this, wrapping it up in a paper towel and, and hiding it in the trash and then lying about where it was, she felt liberated enough to celebrate that failure in that moment. Now, did she mean to do it? Absolutely not. But she felt the, the freedom to be able to celebrate the fact that she was trying to figure out what the temperature was, made a mistake and was able to celebrate through that. So we went and got donuts mm-hmm. and we celebrated that failure. And so I think people need to do that in their own personal life. Like when you fail, go get yourself a donut. And if you don't do carbs, then go get yourself a carrot stick, whatever it is that makes you happy. But just celebrate it, right? And celebrate the fact that you tried. And I love what you said that trying is success because the fact that you put one foot in front of the other, you woke up today, you made choices to better your life. That in itself is success regardless of the outcome. And I think that's so powerful. And so I think that that's how we get to this place of beginning to self-love is that if you messed up, if you you didn't do your nighttime routine for a week, you know what? Tomorrow's a new day and, and yeah. mercies are new the next day. Yeah. Right? Could not and agree you can more. change you can change that narrative inside of your head the moment that you catch it. Yeah. So the moment that you catch that you're doing this to yourself, you can change the narrative right there in that exact moment. And guess what? In 20 minutes, you're going to have to change that narrative again. And in 30 minutes, you're going to have to change that narrative again. But the point is, is that you continue to change that narrative. Yeah. And it's about having that awareness, you know, to be able to Mm -hmm. do so. So I want to talk to you a little bit about joy in your life, because I can imagine that this work brings you so much joy, but I know that there's a lot of emotion and a real seriousness here too, you know, because it is about giving back and creating change and being part of these women's lives either directly or indirectly and so what role does joy really play in your life and what does joy even really feel like for you so interesting that was my word of the year two years ago Mm. like how that word kind of came about to be my word of the year was that I make myself choose joy Mm. right so Mm -hmm. it's not just like joy right because here's the here's the deal uh, happiness and joy and all of these sort of emotions, right? Yeah. Um, are liars, right? Because I could be experiencing happiness and I could be experiencing, you know, all of these different things. And then somebody could call me and tell me that my dog was dead and that emotion would be gone. Right. Right. And so it's a fleeting sort of thing. Whereas joy, joy is something that you can be deeply rooted in that even in pain and sorrow that you can experience joy, joy and pain can happen in the exact same space, Mm. right? That's Mm -hmm. how it works is that joy isn't an emotion. Joy is a state. And so joy and grief can happen in the same period. Joy and pain can happen in the same period. They're not, they're not, 
you know, you can't, it's not like you can just have one or the other. They all have, they happen at the same time. And so I think that, that you have to get to the place where you choose to be joyful, that it is an active choice, just like you choose your heart. And so I think that you have to get to this place where you recognize that, that joy is an actual choice. And that in spite of the things that are going on around you, in spite of how you may feel, in spite of, in spite of like what you, what is going on around you, that you, that you can choose those things and that you can find peace you can find peace in knowing that pain and joy can live in the same space wow that you can have pain from a bruised issue but you can also seek and find joy in that you can be going through a rough time and feel that bruise from life but you can experience the joy that's right in front of you Mm -hmm. and so find peace in that you can have and seek and choose joy in spite of pain, in spite of hard, that they operate in the same space. Right. So it doesn't have to be mutually exclusive, that you can still choose joy, right, in any given moment, despite difficulty or hardship. And I think that's such an important message. And so how have you been able to choose joy in those moments? I I think it's just recognizing that that my life could have turned out and looked a lot different than it does. And and really it's practicing gratitude, which I think a lot of people get like, that's so, that's so woo woo. Mm. Um, And I'm not a woo woo person at all, but really practicing gratitude and, and being thankful for the really small things. So I'm thankful that I have a car. I'm thankful that I have a job. I'm thankful that I have great friends. I'm thankful for the experiences that I've experienced. So to put into perspective that, yes, I'm having a bad day. Yes, this is going wrong. Yes, this is happening. But in the grand scheme of things, I'm so incredibly lucky. I'm so incredibly, I have so many reasons to have joy. Um, And so I think that that's how, that's how I've been able to put it in perspective. I don't always get this right either. I don't want to sound like St. Amber (laughs) that has this perfectly figured out. I don't, I don't But we're all human, right? And so, you know, we all make mistakes and there's this constant ebb and flow within any journey. And I know for me, you know, on some days it's easier than others to choose to choose joy too. And so if there's anyone that's listening to this podcast who is no doubt inspired by you and the incredible perspective that you have and the work that you've done and the impact that you're having, what would be your biggest piece of advice for someone who wants to step outside of themselves and do something very similar? You need to be so deeply rooted into who you are and why you're doing it that when the hard days come, because they will come and they will stay and they will be so incredibly painful that you are so deeply rooted into who you are and why you're doing it, that there's nothing that will move you. And so you need to get to that place before you start it because you, or you could be like me and not be in that place before you start it. And then all of those things happen. And then you have to go through this horribly painful journey. And maybe that's the journey that you're going to have to choose either way. Mm -hmm. But I, I always strongly suggest to people that you deeply, deeply, deeply know who you are, know your strengths, know your weaknesses, know your values, what you value, and then have your why be so buried deep inside of you that nothing and no one can convince you that there's anything else that you should be doing. I mean, mic drop on that one, Amber. I mean, that's beautiful. And I could not say that any better. If I tried, you know, being deeply rooted in who you are and your values, it makes the journey, I think, a little clearer and easier to see where you're going and who you want to be and what you want to do. And just like you said, you know, part of that journey sometimes is learning who you are and learning how to become more deeply rooted in who you are as time 
goes on. And so we spent a lot of time reflecting, but what would you say is your biggest dream? Um, my biggest dream personally um, would be to get my business to a place of, of good, stable, that's growing and, 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 and helping our community um, and a place that I can step back away from enough to be able to grow um, a family. Um, my big professional dream is that every community would be able to have an 11th Candle Co. Because I believe every community needs a place um, where people can have a safe place, safe people, and purpose. And so that would be my dream is that every community could have an 11th Candle Company um, to, be able to, to be able to provide that to the people. Yeah, and it's going to happen. It's, it's just a matter of time. Amber, I have loved having this conversation with you. Where can everyone find more information on Legacy and 11th Candle Co. and start purchasing some candles and get more involved? Yeah, for sure. So uh, 11thcandleco.com, the kind of gets you everything that you need to know. The right side of the page is kind of all about who we are and what we value and the story of Legacy and what Legacy is. And then the left side is where you can just purchase candles. Um, and then any social media is just at 11th Candle Co. Um, and so follow along there for all the new and fun things that we're doing. Um, and then we'll give your listeners a promo code. I'll have um, Samantha send that over to you so that you can share that with your listeners. Um, um, 25% off of their of their order. Amazing. That sounds great. Okay, perfect. So I'll include all of the information along with the promo code in the show notes for today's episode. And Amber, thank you so much. This was such an incredible conversation. I learned so much and just thank you. Thank you for sharing, honestly, just so many incredible moments and lessons and reflections from your life. Yeah, thanks so much.